Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 is found on page 1154. This morning we're going to read verses 7 to 19. Read God's word. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. Listen. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. And so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. And then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Now, Ernest Shackleton was a British explorer And this past week, they have discovered his ship, the Endurance. It's been discovered under the waters, or in the waters, under the Antarctic. And it's incredibly well preserved, despite it being over 100 years old and in the water all that time. Well, who was Ernest Shackleton? How would you get to know him? Now, you could ask historians, and they would give you lots of information about his life and his accomplishments. But what was he like personally? Well, we could read accounts from his wife or from his children or from the men who served on his ship. But what were his thoughts? Well, you can read his own personal diary to find that out. And so to get an accurate knowledge of Shackleton, you have to spend time with him, or at least his writings and the writings of others who spent time with him. In a similar way, how do we know who Jesus is? Well, Jesus didn't write a diary to describe his life, but we can read the accounts of his life of those by those who are with him. He ensured that there would be those who witnessed his life and would write an account of his ministry. And that is what we have with the four gospel accounts. Matthew and John, they both spent time with Jesus. Mark 
got his material from Peter, and Luke got his material from a variety of eyewitnesses. And these books are more than accounts, for they were inspired by God. And the result is we have exactly what we need to know who Jesus is. So I want you to notice how Jesus called men to know him and make him known so that you today can know Jesus and also make him known to those around you. So firstly, Jesus wants to spend time with you, his disciples, through his word. Verse 7. We read in verse 7 of Jesus withdrawing with his disciples. Well, who is he withdrawing from? Well, the last five incidents in Mark's gospel were about the opposition that Jesus faced from the religious leaders. They were watching Jesus. And Mark records how Jesus forgave the sins of the paralytic. He called Levi, this immoral tax collector, and he edited his home with other tax collectors and sinners. His disciples were found out uh, to be not fasting on the traditional fast days. And then last week, we considered Jesus and his disciples breaking the rules of the Pharisees in how to keep the Sabbath. And so Jesus, he was challenging their religious observances. Mark concludes this section describing how the Pharisees and how the Herodians came together to make a plan on how they would destroy Jesus. Well, it's therefore not surprising that Jesus withdraws to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus knew these Pharisees and these scribes were hard-hearted. They were not interested in understanding who he was, nor did they see their need for him as their own savior. No, they saw themselves as righteous, as better than everyone else. They were keeping the rules, but Jesus challenged the rules. And so it was no longer wise for Jesus to continue his ministry in front of them. Ferguson writes, he knew that the Pharisees were mortally opposed to him. He knew men's hearts well enough to realize they would stop at nothing to be rid of him. But he was his father's son. He followed a heavenly plan and timetable. The time of final confrontation still lay in the future. And so for the moment, Jesus withdrew. The time of confrontation would ultimately happen when Jesus was arrested by the Pharisees, and they condemned him to death and handed him over to the Romans to execute him. But before then, Jesus would fulfill his mission, and the priority for his mission was his disciples. So we see a change in Mark's gospel, a change in direction. Jesus' focus is on his disciples. He spends time with them. Yes, he preaches to the crowds, but he explains his teaching to his disciples without the crowd present. He brings his disciples along with them so that they would know who he was and his purpose for coming into this world. And they were to write it down. And so we have the Gospels so we can read about who Jesus is. How do you know who Jesus is? It's not by a dream. It's not by someone else's opinion. No, you're to read the source material written by his disciples. Read Mark's gospel so you can know Jesus' true identity. You can understand his mission on earth. God's word is a living word, and so as a result, you're spending time with Jesus, despite the fact that these books were written 2,000 years ago. 
as Jesus wanted his first disciples to know him, he wants you to know him too. And this you do by reading his word. Well, secondly, don't follow the crowd. Instead, know Jesus as your savior who was crushed for you. So despite being unpopular with the religious leaders, we see that Jesus is hugely popular with the crowd. We read of multitudes coming to hear him. These crowds came from all over Israel, from north, south, east, and west. They traveled many miles to see Jesus. Jesus' reputation was spreading. It had spread around the region of Galilee, but now it was spreading to the surrounding regions, both Jewish and Gentile. Many had heard of the things that Jesus could do. They wanted to see it for themselves. Now, I'm sure you've seen footage this past week of the crowds of people trying to get on those trains in Ukraine or walking uh, to the border, leaving their homes and their nation. They're looking for safety. They're looking for hope. The multitudes coming to Jesus are also looking for hope. Hope that Jesus would heal them of their diseases, cure them of their paralysis, remove the demons inside them. But Jesus' main priority was not healing, it was preaching. And we notice that in chapter 1. He came to preach that the kingdom of God had arrived, for he is the king. And this is good news. In him there is hope. The Pharisees and their religion of rules... That did not provide hope for the people. Instead, it only condemned them of their sin. So Jesus called upon them to repent of their sin and to put their trust in him for salvation. And so we read of the crowds crushing him, pressing on him, reaching out to touch him. If they could only touch him, they thought, then they would be healed. Well, Jesus is in danger of being crushed. Maybe you've been to an outdoor concert And there is a huge crowd there. They all want to get to the front. They all want to see their pop idol. And so they push and they shove to get as close to the stage as possible. Well, the crush here for Jesus is so bad that he asks his disciples to prepare a boat so that he can be away from the pushing of the crowd. This distance would stop the crowd from reaching out. Later we read that Jesus would teach from a boat. And that's possibly what he was going to do here, teach from the small boat. But it appears that the people were less interested in his teaching, uh, more they were interested in his ability to perform miracles. They wanted to be entertained. That's why they kept pushing and shoving rather than sit quietly and listen to what Jesus had to say. Sometimes big crowds can mislead us. It appears they're interested. It looks exciting. And yet the crowd of people can leave as quickly as they come. Back in early January, there was an incident at the IMU hotel where a man barricaded himself in his room and claimed to have hostages. And all the students and faculty here will be aware of this situation because an email alert was sent out to all from IU to tell them to avoid the situation. And the Indian students who attend our ESL class were telling me about it, and they thought this email alert was interesting because in their culture, if you tell people that there's something going on, 
Rather than deterring people, you're more likely to attract a crowd as they want to see what's going on. Well, these multitudes, they want to see what's going on. Who is this young rabbi who's causing a stir? They want to see the miracles that he's performing. But they were not ready to respond to Jesus' call in their lives. They were happy to watch, but not to follow. They trusted that Jesus could heal them. But even the Pharisees believed that Jesus could do miracles. We saw that last week. They waited to see Jesus heal the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath so that they then could accuse him. And maybe that is the depth of your relationship with Jesus. Consider your prayers before him. You want him to heal you of your sickness. You want him to give you good weather for a picnic. You want him to provide a parking space right beside the door of the shop. But that's it. You're not ready to cry out in sorrow over your sinfulness. But Jesus came to provide you with more than earthly healing, more than a comfortable lifestyle. He provides spiritual healing. He cleanses you of your sin. Well, Jesus would be crushed again. And the Garden of Gethsemane literally means the place of the oil press. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he was in the garden praying. He was under tremendous pressure. He was being crushed under the weight of what he was about to do. Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. For God's people, Jesus volunteered to be crushed so you can be healed. Oil was often used as an ointment. It had healing properties. And so in Jesus, there is healing from our spiritual sickness. Now, the crowds, they did not recognize this, at least not at this time. But the disciples recognized this. They knew that they needed to be healed. They recognized their need, and so they trusted in Christ to rescue them. And he would deliver them from their sin and lift them up to new life. Are you here to be entertained? Sadly, many churches do that. That's what the people want, and so they give them entertainment. No, you are to know who Jesus is. Don't follow the crowd. Instead, know Jesus as your Savior, who was crushed for you. Well, thirdly, do not be like the demons who recognize Jesus, but will not submit to him. Verse 11. So as well as the crowd, we read that unclean spirits are also present Now, demon possession is not something that we are particularly familiar with. We think of it as something that happened in Bible times. But the reality is, even in the Bible, there are not that many instances of demon possession. Demons are mostly mentioned during the time of Christ with his ministry on earth and also during the time of the early church when the apostles were present. Now, it's not that demons are non-existent today. C.S. Lewis put it well when he says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. 
and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Satan will use his demons to cause fear and domination, or he will hide them and cause them to work secretly. And it's this secret mode that is most common, even in the Bible. So what we have here is unusual. But it's also unusual to have the Son of God in the flesh walking on the earth. There is a spiritual conflict going on. And Satan, he sends his demons to attack Jesus. The way of attack is calling out his name. We read of that. They cry out saying, you are the Son of God. McCoy says the clearest confession of who Christ is in this first half of Mark comes from demons. What a contrast with the crowds. The crowds were confused about Jesus' identity. They saw him only as a miracle worker. But the evil spirits, they are clear about who Jesus is. And by calling out Jesus' name, this was an attempt to render him powerless, thinking that by knowing his name, They could somehow control him. Ferguson writes, The cry of the demons was a cry of despair, not of faith. It was calculated to destroy Jesus' influence by suggesting that there was an association between him and those who recognize his identity. That's why Jesus stops them from talking. He wants them to be, he warns them to be quiet. Jesus is not controlled by them, nor does he associate with them. And so these demons were rendered powerless before Jesus. They could do nothing against him. And this is a foretaste of the final battle on the cross when Satan and his demons would be defeated. Knowing who Jesus is therefore means, therefore does not mean that you are in a saving relationship with Jesus. Just consider these demons. They clearly demonstrate that. James speaks of this in James 2. You believe that there is one God. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And so in knowing Jesus, it needs to be more than knowing he is true, for that would make you no different than these demons. No, you need to be trusting him, that he's rescued you from your sin. These demons were doomed. That's why they're terrified before Jesus. They had no hope of salvation. But for you, you can know hope. You can know joy. For Christ came to bring salvation, to rescue you. So do not put yourself in the same position as the demons. Instead, submit yourself to Christ. Well, fourthly, notice, as a disciple of Christ, Christ has called you to be with him verses 13 to 19. So we read of how Jesus left the coastline and from the Sea of Galilee, and he goes and climbs this high mountain. And we read that he called those who he wanted. Jesus escapes from the crowd, and he prefers the company of those who are genuinely interested in him, who want to follow him. Well, Christ is sovereign, And he calls his disciples to himself. So as those who in his irresistible love come now to Jesus believing, he alone can save them. Jesus in calling his disciples is doing something unique. 
Normally, it's the disciples who ask particular rabbis, respected rabbis, if they can follow them. Some of you young people are going around looking for a particular university to attend, and you visit a number of campuses, and you ask lots of questions, and then you make a decision as to where you'll go. I'm not aware of universities coming up to you, to any of you, asking you to come and to study at their institution. But that's what Jesus did. He called particular people to be his disciples, to follow him, and to leave everything behind. We've already considered Jesus calling Levi from being a tax collector to being a disciple of Christ. And we read that he did this in the lives of 11 other men. And so he appointed 12. Well, why does he have 12 disciples? Well, as noted, the previous section of Mark's gospel was about the opposition that Jesus faced. By him withdrawing from these religious leaders, Mark is saying that Jesus is breaking from this old religion. By, in appointing 12, Jesus is setting up a new kingdom. Remember, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. So Jesus is doing something new from the religion of the Pharisees. He is establishing a new Israel from the old Israel. As Israel was founded on 12 men, he would create a new people, also found on 12 men. Paul speaks of this in Galatians 6, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Well, this is the beginning of the New Testament church. Now, it's not that Jesus didn't have other followers. We read a woman following him. Later in the gospel, at the time of Jesus' death, we read of Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea, who are clearly followers of Christ. But these 12 men, they had a special position, for they were with Christ from the beginning of his earthly ministry. They witnessed his miracles. They heard his teaching, and they would write it down for us to have today. Who are these 12 men? Well, we have a list here. We read of Simon, who's renamed Peter, meaning rock. For later in Mark's gospel, we hear of Peter's confession. He is the first one to recognize who Jesus is, and the other disciples follow suit. He establishes the foundation of the church. James and John, he renamed sons of thunder rather than sons of Zebedee. They clearly had a hot temper. They were argumentative, and yet Christ would use their determination. James would be the first to be martyred, while John would be the last disciple to die. These three would form an inner core, the three closest to Jesus. And then as well as that, there is Andrew, the brother of Peter. And so we see two sets of brothers, and possibly a third set of brothers, for Levi, who is renamed Matthew, is the son of Alphaeus. And we read of James being a son of Alphaeus too. Matthew, as a tax collector, was once a servant to the Roman Empire. On the other extreme, there is Simon the Zealot, or Simon the Canaanite. These zealots were an organized group that were against the Roman Empire. They even used violent means to frustrate and to terrorize the working of the Roman Empire in Palestine. The final name on the list is Judas Iscariot, 
and he would be forever remembered as the one who betrayed Jesus. He had this privileged position as one of the twelve, but he was not really one with them. Instead, he loved the world more than he loved Christ. And so he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. The other men we know very little about. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Judas, also known as Thaddeus. Wilmhurst writes, This is not a gallery of heroes, to put it mildly. The twelve are a motley crew, unqualified, untraveled, untrained, yet called by Jesus to be the founding fathers of the church. And with them, he will turn the world upside down. Jesus does not pick the best. Instead, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. These men are not chosen because of who they are. No, it's despite who they are. And Likewise, Jesus calls you. He doesn't call you because of some special gift or ability that you have. No, he calls you to be his disciples, for he will accomplish his purposes through you. Like what he did with the twelve. And some of those, we never hear what they accomplished. In our eyes, it looks small, but they did what God called them to do. We must humbly respond to Christ's call in our life. Leave our previous life behind. Leave the crowd and instead follow him. We'll finally notice Jesus calls you to be with him so you can know him and make him known. Jesus calls these men to be his disciples because he wants them to be with him. Jesus is not a lone ranger doing this mission all by himself. No, he came into this earth to know his disciples, and for them to know him. He forms a relationship with these men. Too often we have the wrong view of discipleship. Our focus is entirely on service. We neglect the importance of simply being with Christ. That's what we're doing here in worship. We pray that Christ would be with us. And so we are being blessed by being in his presence. When we read God's word, when we pray, we are sitting with him. We are growing through his word. Remember the story of Mary and Martha. Martha was so busy doing things that she had no time to sit with Jesus. While Mary took the time and sat with Jesus and learnt from him. Now it's easy to be sympathetic with Martha and think, well, she's only doing her job. But she had Jesus Christ in her home. This was not the time to be busy in the kitchen. That can all wait. Instead, it's right to be with Jesus, learning from him, being built up in him. And these disciples, that's what they did. They spent time with Jesus. They got to know him. And people could tell. Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. By being with Jesus, these men were transformed. In spending time with Jesus, they grew in their wisdom and understanding. Consider their humble beginnings. Many of them were fishermen. But now they are preachers. 
And this was part of God's calling in their lives. They would preach the message of a coming kingdom. They would continue Jesus' ministry of preaching the message of good news. They will travel to the corners of the earth and so bring others to know Jesus. Jesus comes into your lives and calls you to declare his name. Sometimes that means taking you from your homeland, from your profession, but often it's serving Jesus where you are. Like Christ, these disciples would be given authority to heal disease. That's a sign of the kingdom, that Christ is a great physician who comes for the sick. And so in healing the physically sick, it was to point to the spiritual sickness of sin and so find in Christ's healing. Another sign of the kingdom was that they could cast out demons. They removed demons recognizing that Christ has defeated these demons for he is more powerful. And that would ultimately be seen on the cross. Now in one sense, these 12 men are unique. They are apostles and they would have a unique position in church history. But in another sense, what they are doing is what you are called to do as Jesus' disciples. Now, while we do not possess the ability to heal, but we can show mercy to those in need. Often God uses that kindness as we reach out to people. You may not cast out demons, but you are still involved in spiritual warfare. And Jesus empowers you to remain faithful and not give in to temptation. As disciples of Christ, I encourage you, take time to be with him. Never see that as wasted time. No, it's time to be strengthened and enabled. And then go out and make him known. Make him known in your family. Make him known to your friends and to your work colleagues. God will use you. Too often we question if we have the ability but if God were wanting the most able people, he would have chosen the most able people. No, he wants those who are dependent on him. When you're dependent on someone, you're with them. And that is essential before you go out. Jesus called man to know him and to make him known. So you today can know Jesus and make him known to those around you. Now, many of you will have heard of the shooting incident uh, where Tommy Mangan from 2nd RP was shot in the throat. Now, thankfully, he was discharged from hospital on Friday. But as a result of the shooting, he has no voice. But while in hospital, Tommy asked his deputy chief if they could pray together. How would they do this? Well, through writing. And this was his prayer. Tommy prayed, Dear God, we are so grateful, grateful for your unconditional love for us, Father God, you have blessed me beyond my imagination. Each person I've come into contact with or have heard about is seeking to serve me. I am supposed to serve this community, but God has greater plans. I'm uncertain what they are, but I am thankful for the people he is using. Thank you, Jesus. Tommy, a disciple of Christ, knows Christ, and he's making Christ known in the most remarkable way. Likewise, you are to know Christ and to make him known to those around you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your calling upon these 12 men to be your disciples. And we see the importance of them spending time with you, 
so that they know you. As a result, you use them to make your name known. Father, you've called us to be your disciples. Help us to see, help us that we would see the need to know you better, that we would take the time to do this. And so as a result, we would be more effective in making you known and where you placed us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn in your blue psalm book, and we're going to sing Psalm 91D. Psalm 91 speaks about the importance of knowing Christ. Notice stanza 10. From danger I will set him free, because...